I'm going to pray with you now because I'm eager to get to the teaching today as we wrap up this five-part series, Return to Calvary. The last series needed to be at the cross, and I'm so glad that it is. Let's pray. Oh, God, total praise. Total praise. That's what we lift to you. You are the you are the giver of all good things. You're also the maker of all things that loves and wants me. And because of who you are, we give these few moments that are left to you. Do with them whatever you wish. Just know our minds and our, our hearts are listening for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Read it again one last time. Galatians 6.14, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. 1 Corinthians 2.2, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Why? Ah, because of the universal summation of all truth, the maker of all things, loves and wants me. Johann von Goethe, the German poet and playwright, once made this expression. You can feel the the energy behind it. He said, there are four things I hate. All right, four. Number one, tobacco smoke. Number two, lice. Hmm. Number three, garlic. Now, I happen to love garlic. I don't love it on me, but I love it in me. And then he says, there's one other. Tobacco smoke, lice, garlic, and the cross. I hate it. Why? Because the cross is the universal symbol of suffering and sacrifice. And my question to you on this last Sabbath of this semester is, where does the cross stand in your life? How does it rank in your life of what you love and what you don't love? There's no question where it stood ranked in the mind of Peter. And he will not leave us guessing where he stands. Open your Bible to the little Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 8. We'll pick it up in verse 31. Jesus and his disciples are gathered beneath the snow-capped twin peaks of Mount Hermon in north of Palestine. No spies, no scouts, nothing to fear, just Jesus and his, and his own. He has something to tell them. Mark 8, verse 31, and he, Jesus, then began to teach his disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. The very next line reads, and he spoke plainly about this because the 12 hear it, the 12 get it, but they didn't hear it and they didn't get it. And so three major times from this moment on until Calvary, Jesus will have to repeat the instructions as candidly and as bluntly as he knows how. He is now walking under the shadow of the cross. Right now, Mark 8, 31, the shadow of the cross 
takes over the narrative. Daryl Bach, in dealing with this, this moment, I like the way he puts it. The new reality is that the way of glory is down the road of suffering. That was not only true then. I want to tell you something about your life. The new reality in your life right now is the way of glory, because there is nobody here that doesn't want to be on that way of glory to when we'll sing total praise in His presence. But the way of glory for you, and I'm sad to admit, for me, is down the road of suffering. Not for me. One of the, one of the boys jumps up, yo, 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 excuse me. Well, you know who it is course. Jesus spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And in the Greek, Peter literally, physically grabs Jesus and pulls him, wait, wait, I'm going to say something private to you, privately to you. Come over here, Master. I need to let you in on a little something. Now, Mark, the author of this narrative, you remember, his gospel could very well be called the gospel according to Peter. So Mark mercifully leaves out what Peter actually said to Jesus. But Matthew was there and heard it all. And Matthew says, I'm going to give you what Peter said. And so if we go to Matthew, Darrell Bach's, Bach's rendition of that verse, Matthew 16, 22, God have mercy on you, Lord. This will never, and that's a double negative, this will no, not ever. Do you hear me? Read my lips. This will never happen to you. Let's get off of this high horse. Jesus instantly hears the voice of his nemesis, who in those wilderness temptations made that very same offer. Never. Double negative. You don't have to. And according to the Greek, Jesus yanks himself out of Peter's grasp whirls around so that he has the disciples and Peter in his gaze and speaks to three audiences. Audience one, Peter. Audience two, the disciples. Audience three, the unseen being slithering in their midst. Yeah, he knows. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Desire of ages grabs this get behind me, Satan. And notice the reflection. Satan was trying to discourage Jesus and turn him from his mission. And Peter, in his blind love, was giving voice to the temptation. But the Savior heeded it not. His thought was for his disciple Peter. Satan had interposed between Peter and his master that the heart of the, of the disciple might not be touched at the vision of Christ's humiliation for him. The words of Christ, the italics are mine, the words of Christ were spoken not to Peter, but to the one who was trying to separate him from his Redeemer. Get behind me, Satan. Out. No longer interpose between me and my erring servant. Let me come face to face with Peter that I may reveal to him the mystery of my love. The maker of all things loves and wants you, and we have to do this. Wow. Why? The maker of all things loves and wants me.
That's why. Johann von Goethe. There are four things I hate. Tobacco smoke, lice, garlic, cross. Hate it. Peter had no room for the cross. Not for himself, certainly not for Jesus. Makes you wonder how much room I have for the cross. How much room do you have for the cross in your life? Mark 8. Now we go to verse 34. And this is from David Bentley Hart's one-man translation, critically acclaimed translation of the New Testament. And summoning the crowd along with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone wishes to come along behind me, oh, I like that. If anyone wishes to come along behind me, let him deny himself. Let her deny herself utterly and take up their cross and follow me. Follow me. Mead McGuire, in that precious short book of his, his cross and mine, writes, it may be a surprising fact to many that Jesus never once spoke of the cross as his, but always as ours. Five times Jesus speaks the word cross in the four Gospels. Not once is it my cross. It's always your cross, his cross, her cross, their cross. It's never my cross. You know why? Because you cannot bear his cross. It is unrepeatable. It is an eternal sacrifice that would kill you forever and ever. Amen. If you bore it. It's not your cross. You have your own cross. And that's the point he's making. I have my own cross. What are these red letter words? You want to follow me? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Get behind me. Let's go. That cross. What's that mean? McGuire again. In every instance, Jesus is talking about the great crisis in a man or a woman's life when, when we are deciding the solemn question of our eternal destiny. And what's that question? Here it comes. There, the man's own cross, the woman's own cross, stands at the parting of the ways. There's a cross right there. You're going to choose one path or the other. You can't go down the middle, one way or the other. At the parting of the ways in that cross, what's the question? Shall I live for self or for God? That's the choice. Shall I, shall I advance my own interests? Spending my life looking out for me, 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 me? Shall I, shall I adjust my social media platform postings? Me, 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 me. So shall I adjust my purchasing and hoarding of everything I can get my hands on for me, 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 me? Or shall I put self down? Kick it down. Shove it down. Push it down. To me, the clearest exposition I have found to define the cross that we are to bear are these words from the Apostle Paul. He nailed it. This is what it means to take your cross. 
Take it up and follow him. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified. Let's read this out loud together. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Now, the first person singular in the Greek is ego, from whence comes our word ego. You can see that easily enough. Let's pick it up again here. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the clearest definition I can find in Scripture. What is this cross? Get crucified with him. Just get crucified with him. Let them drive the stake through your head if you wish. You have to die. Just hang there with him for a while. I'm crucified with Christ. The cross before you, the cross before me today on this last Sabbath of this semester is our answer to the question, shall I live for self or shall I live for God? Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there's a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. So what is this cross thing? I'm going to tell you what it's not. Some people think the cross is a bad marriage. Oh, that was just one marriage. What a cross I had to bear. Nope. It's getting diabetes. Nope. It's missing my flight at the, at the airport. Nope. Getting stuck in an interminable red light. Nope. You're describing human annoyances and even sufferings, but the cross does not equal human suffering. John R. W. Stott, in his magnificent book, The Cross of Christ, makes this point, and I hope you get it. If we are following Jesus with a cross on our shoulder, all right? So let's just say you and I have hoisted up our individual crosses. I have mine and you have yours. If we are following Jesus with a cross on our shoulder, there is only one place to which we are going, a place of crucifixion. Do you understand that? If you're carrying a cross, guess what? You're headed to crucifixion. You're not headed to a party. You're not headed to retirement. You're not headed to a vacation. You're going straight to crucifixion. If you have a cross, you end up crucified. Do you understand his point? Our cross, then, is not an irritable husband or cantankerous wife. It is instead the symbol of death to self. To deny oneself is to turn away from the idolatry of self-centeredness. In fact, Luke's rendering that William read for us just a moment ago, Luke's rendering, Luke 9, 23, I'll just put it back up on the screen here. Then Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And William rightfully emphasized daily, only Luke inserts that word, take up their cross daily and follow him. It's a daily decision. In fact, Frederick Dale Bruner makes a point I had never thought of before, and I'm putting him right up juxtaposed to this. Jesus asked disciples not only to join him, but get this, but also to spend the rest of their lives with him in his company and under his teaching. Keep reading. 
The synoptic. Okay. So this is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. The synoptic gospels quote Jesus saying, follow me. Yeah, we just, we, we just read it. Therefore, the, the, the synoptic follow me is very much like the fourth gospel, John, the Johannine, abide in me. What, what Bruner is saying is it's a call to, with the radical stakes of intimate fellowship. It's intimacy. In John, he says, abide in me. In the synoptics, he says, follow me. It's the same. I want that, I want that sharp and radical intimacy with you. This isn't, this isn't Jesus saying, I'll be about a mile down the road, but just keep me in sight. No, 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 no. In fact, let me, let me put Bruner back up here. Uh, Jesus' invitation is surrounded fore and aft. Now, that's old nautical terms. Fore, that's the front. Aft, that's the back of the boat. And I put in here in brackets, up front and behind. Jesus, it, Jesus' invitation is surrounded up front and behind by the nearness of Jesus' presence. If anyone wants to come behind me, then live a life following me. The, the italics are his. The personal presence of Jesus is what makes Christian discipleship both possible and desirable. We have looked at this cross as something that is negative. It's something that, ah, oh, just like eating broccoli. You got to do it. That's not what this is at all. This is intimacy at its highest level. I'm asking you to get right up here. Get right behind me. I'll be in front. I'm millimeters ahead of you. I'm not miles ahead of you. I'm right in front of you. I will, I will open the doors for you. I will lead you. But you'll be right here. We're going together. I have my arms around you. You're going to be okay. When it says to take up your cross, that's the invitation. Draw into a, an, an intimate relating to the Lord Jesus himself. How high are the stakes? Whew. Oh, mercy. Let's just finish out the passage here. Then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Okay, keep going. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? How cheap is your soul? Are you willing to keep on the path you're on for the sake of your soul? Are you telling me your soul is only worth that? You've got to be kidding me. You're doing all this knowing you're giving up your soul? You've got to be crazy, boy. Why are you doing this? How cheap do you consider yourself? You want to exchange eternity for this craziness? You got to be kidding me. Yeah, the stakes are high. Jesus could hardly be clearer about the stakes for a no-cross-for-me decision. No, 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 no. I'm not going down that pathway. Adios, thanks. And let me tell you something. No cross, no Christ. No cross, no crown. No suffering, no saving. Mm -mm. No cross, no way. No loss, no win. No cross is a terrible way to go. You don't want it. 
Trust Jesus. You don't want it. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Let her deny herself. Take up the cross. Come on, get, get tight here. Get tight. Stay with me. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, pastor, theologian, writer, executed at the age of 39, one month before the Allied liberation of Germany. One month. By direct order of Adolf Hitler himself. I want him dead. Hung. A martyr. In a celebrated book, Cost of Discipleship, and that immortal line, and you know that line, and I'll get to it in a minute, but we need to read the context around that line. And here we go. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Cost of Discipleship, to endure the cross is not a tragedy. It's a suffering which is the fruit of an exclusive allegiance to Jesus Christ. The cross is there right from the beginning. He, she, you and me have only to pick it up. There is no need for him, you and me, to go out and look for a cross for ourselves. No need for us deliberately to run after suffering. I'm not asking you. Jesus is not asking you to do that. But, but note again this, this intimate, tightly bound, Christ-centered relationship. I don't have to go and find a cross. It'll find me. I don't have to look for suffering. It'll come. But I'll be right up against his back. And he'll be in it with me. I will never go, in, go through anything alone. Now comes the memorable line of Bonhoeffer. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. And here's that immortal line. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a woman, he bids her come and die. In fact, every command, he goes on, of Jesus is a call to die with all our affections and lusts. But we do not want to die. And therefore, Jesus Christ and his call are necessarily our death as well as our life. We are bound to him. This is intimate, radically intimate. It isn't bad news. It's the best news there is. If anyone would come after me, let her, let him deny themselves. Take up the cross and follow tight. Come behind me. Come on. Tight. Tight. We will go together, you and I. Must Jesus bear the cross alone and all the world go free? No, there is a cross for everyone and there's a cross for me. So on this last Sabbath of this semester, what's all this mean for you and me? Some of you are graduated next weekend. Congratulations, by the way. We're proud of you. What does this mean for you and me? Others of you are going home. Man, I'm chasing a dream. I'm on, a, I, I'm, I'm on the up and the up. Oh, I'm proud of you. Good for you. Some of us are facing a career that will draw to an end. Some of us are facing a life that is drawing to an end. What does this mean for all of us, this cross business? May I point out that it is only in the Gospel of Mark that we find a phrase inserted into these familiar words. Not in Luke, not in Matthew, not in John, just Mark. 
Here it is, Mark 8, 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and... Oh, Mark says, I'm going to insert this here. And for the gospel will save it. My, oh, my, oh, my. Isn't that amazing? And for the gospel. What's the gospel? The maker of all things loves and wants me. That's the irreducible central truth of this universe. The maker of all things who came here, switched places with us, died our eternal death, that we might have his eternal life. That's the gospel. So Mark says, wait a minute. You know, he also meant, not just for him, but also for his gospel, the gospel, the good news. And by inserting that into those red letters, what Mark is saying is that Jesus is saying, when you take up the cross, you must go for me. You must go for me. G-O for me. It's not just about following me. No, you must go for me. With the people you have sports with, you go for me there. With the people you work with, you go for me there. With the people you live with, you go for me there. You must go for me. I'm right there, right in front of you. But you have to say something. You can't just walk around in a daze. I need you. Go for me. By that insertion, oh my, oh my. Jesus is saying, take my good news everywhere with you, always with you, for I'm always with you, and it should always be good news for you. Wow. When I think of that insertion, I'm just going to confess now and be a little personal. When I think of that insertion, and I wrestle over with what its implications are for me, trust me, that's not such a little, doesn't matter. No, it's a big deal. Because I wonder about my own life. What cross does Jesus have for me now that I end at Pioneer? There has to still be a cross. If every line of this means my life and your life, there still has to be a cross. I must still follow him. So what does that mean? People tell me, hey, listen, Dwight, let me tell you something. You've worked hard. 50 years in ministry, 40 years in one church, (laughs) you deserve a break. Listen, don't think that the, don't, don't, don't think that God needs you to finish his work on earth. He doesn't. He'll be fine. And I get what they're trying to say. But the pushback inside of me says, yeah, but I have no cross now. I have no mission now. I don't go about my father's business now. I go on vacation now. How awful. Man, I have to assume he means me, every ounce of my life and every line of that imperative. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Get close behind me. And I have to then believe that he means I must obey the the command that he has just given. And by the way, it's not only me. I have to believe that he means you. Every line of that command is for you, and you have to obey it just as much as I do. 
Nobody's going through life now. Well, I, I guess that's done. It's not done. I think of this nation. How are we going to reach America in this generation? I'm not going to just sit here and let other people figure that out. I have to do something about it. I can't just twiddle my thumbs. There's a cross to bear. It may not be pleasant. It may not be what I ordered for myself, but it's what he assigned to me. You will bear that cross. Up tight. Get, get close. Get close. You're, 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 you're falling back. Come here. Hang on to me. I have to find that cross or it'll find me. We still have to take the truth about the maker of all things loves and wants me to the nation and to the earth. The maker of all things who is soon to return. Do I not have a responsibility to him? Excuse me. Do you not have a responsibility to him? Oh, yes, you do. Oh, yes, you do. We're all in this together, guys. Because the one who tries to save his life will lose it. But the one who loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. I want to end with an altar call by telling you a story. The 19-year-old college student from a well-heeled family, for part of his education, was to visit all the capital cities of Europe. So the boy, the 19-year-old, is standing today in a Dusseldorf, Germany art gallery. He's been gripped by Domenico's Ecce Homo oil painting, Ecce Homo Latin, Behold the Man. He's gazing into those tortured eyes, crown of thorns, just a bust, rendition, mesmerized by it. Eventually, he drops his eyes to the bottom of the painting, and he sees an inscription there with these words, all this I have done for thee. What doest thou for me? And his heart is broken. And his life has changed. 19 years old, guys. His life has changed. He goes back to his home. He gathers other young teens around him and young adults. He shares the vision. They band together. First, they call themselves the Order of the Mustard Seed. But eventually, that band of young, radical disciples became, in time, the greatest missionary movement in the history of Christianity, the Moravians. Young Count Nicholas von Zinzendorf, their founder. Nicholas's biographer, A.J. Lewis, put it this way, speaking of that art gallery moment, then and there the young count asked the crucified Christ to draw him into the fellowship of his sufferings and to open up a life of service to him. He made a decision. This is the cross. I'll bear it. Let me fellowship with you in your sufferings. And the human race was changed. 
because of a 19-year-old who said, I'll, I'll follow close behind you. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I want to follow close behind Jesus, don't you? Come on. What else are we living for? So I invite you today to go on record before heaven and the unseen witnesses who are in this space. You're not doing it for me. You're not doing it because it's the end of the semester. You're doing it because you're under conviction. You, too, need to deny yourself, take up your cross, and tightly follow behind Jesus. I need to go on record before the same witnesses myself as I see change coming in my own life. But it's not going to change this truth. The Lord of Calvary that calls me to follow tightly behind Him with my own cross means business. And I mean to stay as close to Him until He comes as is humanly possible. Whatever that means, I mean it. You want to stand with me today? This is not just a moment to exercise. This is a moment to say, because the witnesses are jotting it down. She stood. Look at that. He stood. Look at that. Put it down, Gabriel. Put it down. The boy's standing. Holy Spirit says, okay, move in. I'm moving in now, because I'm not letting him think this was just standing before he he can get out of the building. This is standing because I asked him to stand, and I'm not going to let him forget that he stood. And you and I will stand together. We will stand together. And one day, we will sing total praise. And remember that on that day, we stood together with Jesus.